Hebrews chapter 11, as you turn there, say this, there are some nights or some services that I am thankful I am not the music director, some more than others, amen, and uh, tonight was one of those, poor day, that's a tough song, he even, we even talked about that song before the service, and I said, just sing it like it's written, that probably wasn't the best advice, but anyway, and uh, he did a good job with it, and uh, those are hard, it's always neat though to go over songs, we haven't sung much, and uh, review them and things like that. Hey, uh, update, let me share with you, Brother Dave and Glenda Carter heard from uh, Brother Dave this week and kind of exchanged some texts, and uh, they are doing well. It's hard to believe uh, uh, next week they'll be coming back, and so this coming Sunday will be their last Sunday there. Everything has gone well with them being able to switch the building over to Brother Steve's name and everything like that, so we're rejoicing at that. They've had some great services, both in English and Japanese, and so Lord's brought in some visitors there and things like that, and so they're excited about coming home. They're also bittersweet about leaving there. They've enjoyed being back on the mission field, but they've gotten everything taken care of, so this coming Sunday, they're having a kind of a special um, commitment or commemoration Sunday of getting the building in their name and so forth, and so we're just rejoicing that, so be praying for them as they head back the next week. I think also the judges are supposed to be coming back that week too, or the week right after that. And so would you just pray for these two couples? Certainly have missed them as they've been gone, and so um, uh, we're looking forward to them being back, and glad the Lord is blessed in different ways. Hebrews chapter number 11, we get to jump into a new section tonight. We're going to look at those verses that we skipped over and uh, that are back here a little earlier in Hebrews 11. If you need an outline, hope you grab your prayer bulletin. Uh, Brother Ron's going to come down the middle aisle. We'd love for you to grab an outline, join us as... Uh, we look at this beautiful passage, a wonderful passage, so get his attention if you don't have one. And uh, these verses, verses 13 through 16, are somewhat unique in that they do not speak about a specific person, they speak about a group of people. And as we read and we see the pl- plurality of the pronouns, certainly they're speaking about those people we've already talked about in the previous 12 verses. There's no doubt. But also, I think it's safe to say they're speaking about those who will talk about in the rest of Hebrews 11, and certainly even anyone and everyone who desires to and endeavors to live by faith. Now, here's what's interesting. These three verses add a little bit of element to living by faith. They add a, something more to um, our concept that's presented in Hebrews chapter 11, living by faith. It adds something, we shall say, um, that we've not spoken about regarding faith. And, and that is simply this, that if you have such a strong conviction that you live by faith, it also means that you are ready to die in faith. If you have the strong conviction, I'm going to live by faith, boy, that'll strengthen you to be ready to die in faith. And we see that just the first couple words here. It alludes to this reality. And so I like to look at this little passage. It's kind of interesting, verses 13 through 16, kind of just to see uh, like they're inserted, right? A parenthetical phrase, it's not, but it seems like a parenthetical phrase. And so I like to think of it as the Holy Spirit has given us this little section called, and I call it faith in review. Faith in review, because he's kind of rehearsing, reviewing some things he said in verses 1 and 2, but uh, at the beginning of the chapter, but he's also given us some new, uh, new nuances to it likewise. And so uh, again, he's being reflective on the practical truths of faith. He's saying, okay, here's some things for you and I to emulate as we strive to live by faith and, and die in faith too. And so in doing this, he, he uses these aforementioned people as examples. You see it at, right at the beginning. In fact, let's just read the first phrase of verse 11. It simply says this, these all died 
in faith. We're going to stop there. We're going to see the same thing. I'm going to share with you seven things from these few verses that I trust will be an encouragement to you and I today, tonight, concerning faith. The first one is simply this. We want to see the offspring, the offspring of living by faith is often dying in faith. I like that terminology, offspring. You'll see that these words all start with O, so some of you can start guessing what the following six are, okay, as we start to get to them and things like that. So the offspring of living in faith is often dying in faith. The word offspring, we know it means simply product, right? Product. What it produces. This is a powerful statement we have here. Can I just tell you what a thrill it is to watch someone's life and see that they've lived by faith? Then as life has thrown trials to their faith, as God has certainly allowed them, the devil's thrown them at them, they have faced those trials of faith well. And then they come to the end of their life, and it's exciting, honestly, to see them come to the end of their life, and they are ready to die in faith. Their faith is as strong as it's ever been, and in that faith, they're looking for the future fulfillment of the promises of God some would say in this world, well, man, yet you, there's things that God has promised you that hasn't happened in your life. And the world would say, that, that's the reason your faith should not be strong. Why, why are you ready to die in your faith? Whereas these and those who live by faith understand that uh, the best is yet to come. Amen? The fulfillment of the promises that God has given. And so it is exciting to watch someone who, who is... Um, experiencing that, the, the fulfillment of that. I, we sang here, I, I forget, just a few um, services ago, or not we sang, someone played a song by Ron Hamilton, and I think it was Patch Night. I think that's what I think it was. I think the, the children uh, sang one of the songs by Ron Hamilton, and I was thinking through the entire song. I, I can't help but thinking with Ron Hamilton passing away last year, I believe it was, and, and uh, thinking, you know what? All those beautiful songs he wrote about God and walking with God and talking with God, Ron Hamilton is experiencing that right now. He is enjoying that. And I'm excited. I'm thrilled for him, especially knowing that at the end of his life, some of the struggles and the trials he went through, even early on in his life and the losing of his eye, that that God turned that trial of his faith into a great great thing for the rest of us and a great thing for my childhood. As I listened to Pastor Pryor, grew up, I mean, and you see all this and you think, wow. I love watching someone who lives by faith face the trials and the tests of their faith, and they come to the end of the life. And you know what they're doing? They're ready to die in faith. And that's what's commended here. Someone who's held on to their faith. And it's, it's not waned. It's not gotten weaker as they've gone on. No, it's only gotten stronger. And now as they look at death, and some people may look back on their life, well, you know, you had faith, and, and God didn't work in that situation the way you wanted. God didn't seem to answer that the way you wanted. Yet they are saying, no, wait a minute. The best is yet to come. I, I can't wait to get to heaven and get in God's presence and See all the fulfillment of his promises in the next life. It challenges us with the question tonight, are you ready to die in faith? If tonight you come down with something and in the next couple days you know you're facing death and you're facing the the time of transition to heaven, are you ready to die in faith? You say, listen, hey, this is what I've had my faith in all along. This is what I've looked forward to. This is the culmination of the fulfillment of, of all the promises of God. Are you ready to die in faith? Can I just tell you that? You know how you're ready to die in faith? Simply put, the passage says you live by faith. You live by faith. When you live by faith, it prepares you and makes you ready to die in faith. That's what we read in this verse. 
He simply says, and it's recorded for us, these all died in faith. They lived by faith, but they also died in faith, clinging and hanging on to that faith. And it's the natural offspring of faith uh, that's living faith is faith in death, faith in death. Then he says something else. Notice the next statement of verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Not having received the promise. Seems rather negative, right? So number one, the offspring of living by faith is often dying in faith. Number two, and we could say it should be. Number two, the obstacle of faith is often not seeing the immediate fulfillment of the given promises. The obstacle of faith is often not seeing the immediate um, uh, fulfillment of the given promises. That's the obvious greatest obstacle to faith, right? Not seeing it happen immediately or even in our lifetime. We've just gotten done looking at Abraham. That was the perfect or the quintessential example of someone who, who was given promises, and many of these promises did not happen in his lifetime. They did not happen immediately. It took 25 years for the promised seed to, to come along. And so for this world, it's really mind-boggling for someone to hold on to faith in something or someone they have not seen nor will see before they face death. To people of this world. You see, to cling to such, with such conviction to something that you have no guarantee will happen soon or even in your lifetime is unfathomable to most people. They cannot grasp this concept of faith. That, that wait a minute, there's no guarantee of when it's going to happen. There's no guarantee that you'll see it in your lifetime. You're not going to see the one that you put your faith and trust in. Can I put it this way? To neither lay your, eye, lay your eyes upon the object of your faith, God and Christ, or the fulfillment of your faith, the promises of God coming true for some time or for a lifetime, and yet continue to live in faith and be ready to die in that faith, it speaks to the greatness of your faith. It speaks to the greatness of your faith. When you have not laid your eyes upon the one who is the object of your faith, nor the faith, that, uh, the, 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 one, the thing that is the fulfillment of the promises, you have not seen that, and yet you cling to that faith, and you live by that faith on a daily basis, as is commended in this passage. My friend, that indeed is great faith. The world does not comprehend that. And yet this is the kind of faith that you and I are called to possess. This chapter is written for your edification, for my edification, for the edification of every believer, of every age, every church member of every age. This is written to edify you and I, to build us up, to encourage us. The just shall live by faith. Here are some people who have given us very practical illustrations of this truth. They've demonstrated this kind of faith. And I, I like how there is a pronoun kind of switch or changeover between verses 13 and 14 see verse 14 now speaks of all those who would live verse 13 we've seen it it, it says if you notice it again these all died in faith these all died in faith not having seen the the fulfillment of the promise not having received those promises okay so these all then it goes to verse 14 look at it verse 14 what does that say for they that say you see the switch yeah, you see the changeover? We would put it this way. It goes from these all, verse 13, who did this, to the they all who have and will do such things. And that in turn, friend, enlarges the circle of reference. 
We alluded to it earlier. I love in this chapter, I, I, I've come to appreciate this in our study so much. In uh, verse, um, um, excuse me, verse number um, three, <laughs> incorporated you and I. You remember that? Through faith, we understand. I, I, Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, he gives us, he, he talks about faith, and then he says, listen, we're, we're walking the same walk they're walking. We're, we're, having this, we're going down the same path that they're going. We, too, have to walk by faith in many ways. He gave us the illustration. We've studied it. And now here again, you know what he does? He enlarges the circle so that it encompasses anyone and everyone. Any believer, every believer that says, you know what? I'm going to live by faith every day that I'm on this earth. I want to live by faith, and I want to be ready to die in faith. And I like this little switch over from verse 13 to verse 14. He says, listen, these all died in faith, not having received. He goes on and on. And he says, listen, all those that say the same, all those, all, all these that will say the same thing, all they that, that will have this same desire, same attitude. And he begins to talk about what they look like that we'll see here in a moment. I, I love that he enlarges it. It means that we all can have a part in this as they did. Don't let the obstacle of faith hinder you. That's the encouragement immediately in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. May I ask you tonight, where is your faith faltered? Where has it tripped up on the obstacle of unfulfilled promises? Well, it didn't happen this year. It didn't happen last year. Well, I did this early on in my life, and I never saw the fulfillment of it yet. So don't let the obstacle of faith, it, it, it certainly can be in our lives. There are things that God has promised that, that might not show up immediately, that we may not see even show up at all, and we may not see until the next lifetime. But does God keep his promises? You better believe it. And so, friend, don't let the obstacle of faith, even mentioned here, as an encouragement to you, know, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. They did not see the fulfillment. Keep trusting in your God. Don't let it trip you up. Then he adds something else. Notice the next statement in verse number 13. It says this, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Notice this statement. But having seen them afar off. But having seen them afar off. We've seen the offspring of faith. That's being ready to die in faith. We've seen the obstacle of faith. That is uh, the lack of immediate fulfillment of promises. Number three, I'd have you see the outlook of faith. The outlook of faith often necessitates seeing the fulfillment of the promises afar off. This is like a textbook on faith. This is, as I called it, faith in review, right? We think of often like a midterm or a test coming up. A teacher says, okay, let's review this before we have the test. Well, this is really what we have here in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. It is a review of faith. He says, number one, here's the offspring of it. It ought to be producing this in your life. If you're living by faith, can I just tell you? Death has no sting. It has no threat. You're ready to have faith in death. Number two, there's an obstacle to your faith. You've already learned there's some things I have to overcome. There's some obstacles thrown before me that I have to overcome. Don't let them trip me up. And one of those is I haven't seen the immediate fulfillment of all the promises of God. Don't let that trip you up. You realize there's a whole lot of people who come and say that I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they, they, they don't see things go hunky-dory. Every single thing happens the way that they think it ought to. And all of a sudden, God's not faithful. What has happened? They allowed the obstacle of faith to trip them up. They allow the obstacle of faith to derail them in, in their journey of faith. Don't let that happen. And then number three here, what's the outlook of faith? Well, the outlook of faith necessitates you and I sometimes seeing the fulfillment of promises afar off. 
Okay. Meaning it's not going to happen right away. And so this, this is what helps me to ensure that that obstacle doesn't affect me. This is the key to not tripping on that obstacle. You have an outlook of faith that sees a far off fulfillment of every one of God's promises. And therein is the key. Every single promise of God will be fulfilled. If you don't believe that, you will find it impossible to walk by faith. The Bible's pretty clear on that. If you do not estimate the character of God to be what it is truly, then you're going to find it hard to walk by faith. You see, the first two statements of verse 13, we read those, and, and immediately you were to read to somebody who is not versed in, in spiritual things, maybe has never come across this passage, and they read this, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. What's their take on that going to be? Oh, those poor souls. Those poor people. Well, bless your little pea-picking heart, as they might say in the South. Well, bless your little heart. You know, they'd be like, oh, those poor people. Can I just tell you right now, that statement is not a sad or negative statement. Not as most people would take that who are not versed in understanding what's being said. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Oh, those poor people. Man, they, they must have be full of regrets. They must think their life was wasted. They must, you, you can imagine what the response to that was. But this is not a lamenting. This is a positive statement about the characteristic of strong faith. You know what these people had? They had a perfect hope. Remember verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. They had a perfect hope. Substance, evidence of things not seen. They had a perfect hope. Also, you know what else they had? They had a bold assurance that every promise of God is going to come true based upon the character of God as we have seen as we've studied Sarah. They trusted the character of God. So they had a bold assurance. They had a perfect hope. They understood this, this truth. Here's the truth. That living by faith must always embrace this truth. God's promise is as good as reality. God's promise is as good as reality. God's promise is as good as reality, okay? Mr. Dave Cooper, do you have a $20 bill on you? $50, $100 bill? What do you have on you? I know. Look at you. Your smile, big books. Give me, a, give me something. Give me some money, son. Would you? I need something for an illustration. I forgot my wallet. Put that $1,000 bill away. I see that. You got ones? Let's just act like it. Thank you. Okay, $20 bill, okay? You may or may not get it back. All right. $20 bill, okay? So think about it this way with me, all right? Because this is reality. This is, and I love this statement. It is something true that if we're going to live by faith, this is crucial, okay? God's promise is as good as reality. As we think of our flesh in this world right now, the fact is this. We have only the limited time of our life to live for. We're well aware of that, okay? The world would essentially say, okay, live for what you can put your hand on. Live for what you can lay hold of. Live for the things that you can achieve right now. And so we have that, right? I, I, I balk personally. And don't take this offensive. Please do not, um, do, do not be offended by this statement, okay? But I, 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 I bristle when somebody says the American dream. I, I remember people saying all the time, well, I'm living the American dream. Can I just tell you that ends up in a nightmare? It ends up in a nightmare. It really does. Because any dream attached to this world will only be a nightmare. 
Okay. The, the American dream is what? Well, I want to own my own home. I, I, I want to have money to retire. I, I, I want to have things, possessions, and I want to have this. It's everything we can lay our hands on in this life. And so we'll use Dave's $20 bill as an example, right? It's anything I can lay my hands on. It's tangible, okay? It's something that I have in my hand. And I think of the old adage that uh, came from medieval falconry that, that, that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? And that old adage and so forth. Whatever I can hold my hand on. And so people of this world will say this, whatever I can live for today and lay my hands on today, whatever I can get for myself today, that's worth it. That, uh, that's what I'm going to live for. Living by faith says this, God may leave my hand empty on this earth, but the day will come where he will fill it with immeasurable and countless treasures. This hand will be full and overflowing with the treasures of God. And so living by faith says, okay, now listen, I got these things here. <laughs> this is, I love this, this idea of Alec. I can see, you know what, as I hold this hand up, as this is picturing exactly what the world would have me hold on to, live for today, get a good job, do this, put up a retirement so you can play golf, you can do this kind of thing, live, enjoy today, grab hold of the American dream. My friend, you know what living by faith says? No, thank you. I'd rather see the promises of God afar off. Pastor Henry, I don't see anything in your hand. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Not yet. But the day is coming when it's going to be filled with immeasurable and unimaginable treasure. So I'm not going to go for this. I'm not going to live for this. This is not what I'm going to spend my life and invest my time in. I'm not going to give everything to achieve this tangible. I'm going to go for what God has promised. I'm going to live for this. And that, my friend, is what we see in this passage described as simply, this is their outlook. They saw the promises of God afar off. And so they fixated upon that. Their outlook was upon those things. Three of my favorite verses that reinforce this truth are, I don't want to say they're obscure, but they're not often attached to this truth, this principle. The first one is in Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45. I find this amazing because as we read in the first five books from going all the way from Abraham through the end of the Pentateuch, we read a multitude of promises to the nation of Israel, don't we? And as we read those promises, we come to Joshua as they're fulfilling and finding out the, the land, of, the promised land is theirs. They're entering into the land of Canaan and things are happening and God is blessing. We read this simple statement. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Powerful verse. Amazing truth. And I'll tell you, my friend, one day you and I will stand in heaven. You say, there is not one thing that God promised that failed. All of it came to pass. He said, give me this. And I gave it to him. And man, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits. I'm reaping the treasures and the crowns now. God said, give me this. And I'm reaping the benefits of doing so. Not living for this, but living for this. Living by faith. And, and I love that verse. They got to the promised land. And guess what? They found God to be true. Go figure. They found God to be faithful. That he fulfilled his word. That he fulfilled everything that he promised. Here's another verse. I, I like Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 28. Therefore say unto them, thus saith the Lord, God, there shall none of my words be prolonged anymore, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. I love the verse too that often says, hey, enter thou into the, the treasures, the glories of your Lord. Enter thou. The time is coming where the promises of God, the fulfillment will no longer be prolonged. 
I don't know about you, but I sure am jealous of some of our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us and have already started enjoying the glories of the presence of God. You know what God said to them as they entered in and as we're weeping here on earth when we said goodbye to loved ones and people we cared about and we miss dearly even today, the reality is that Christ said, hey, no longer. No longer are they prolonged. They're all yours to enjoy. Right now, the fulfillment of all those promises are being enjoyed. And then this verse here in uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, I, I like it because uh, the rhetorical question is almost sarcastic, probably is why I like it. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he said he would do it and not do it? Then I love this statement. Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? You know, there's been a couple times one of my boys has come up to me and said, hey, my brother promised me this. And I said, I said something to this effect. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. There's been people in life that I've met that I'll say, I'll believe it when I see it. I can't say, I, oh, they'll for sure make it good. Oh, they'll always come through. Um, I have one little boy who likes to play tricks that way, you know. Promise something and then pull it back at the last second. You know, there used to be an old term, Indian giver, for that. But anyway, um, or something like that, right? And uh, uh, I've known people like that who just say, hey, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And they don't come through. I like this last statement. The question is this. Have you ever found God to not make it good? Well, you can take that a couple different ways, can't you? Will God always keep his word? Will God always come through? The answer is certainly yes. But you could also say this. Will God not always take everything and make it good? All things work together for good. To them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. I love the statement here and the question and the challenge for you and I in this simple rhetorical question. Uh, do you really believe that God won't make it good? Such an outlook can't help but change you every day. As we attempt to live by faith, and we have this outlook that God's going to fulfill these. I, I, I see afar off the, the promises of God. I understand that He will fulfill them. He will keep His word, and in turn, that will change us. What, how will it change us? The, rest of, or the next part of verse 13 tells us. Look there with me, if you will. Verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. We see the offspring. We've seen the obstacle. But having seen them afar off, we see the outlook. And then this next statement and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I like this next statement. Notice in verse number four. We see the occupation. The occupation of faith is that of living a life that is convinced, committed, and confessing one's position as a stranger and pilgrim. The occupation of faith is that of living a life that is convinced, committed, and confessing our one's position or status as a stranger in or pilgrim. I, am, I enjoy employing the use of the term occupation here. Okay? We, we will typically attach that to our job, our, our, what we do for a living, right, as far as a vocation. The, the term occupation, in, in a very generic form, you know what it means? It means this, the activity in which one engages. The activity in one, what, uh, no, the activity in which one engages, okay? And we would probably say this: the activity in which one primarily engages. 
This is the number one. This is the, the main thrust, right? This is, this is it. This is the main activity that I engage in, that I am engaged in, we could say. And so if you and I as believers, if we are endeavoring to live by faith, guess what? That in turn becomes a lifetime occupation. That becomes a lifetime occupation. I said it some time ago or in the last couple weeks here. You know, the reality is our occupation. What is that? Well, I, I am, as I get older, learning more and growing more. My occupation is being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's living by faith in the God of heaven and the Savior of the cross. It's living by faith. Whether you work in a factory, whether you work in a, a Christian school, whether you work in, on a farm, whether you work at a church, whether you work uh, anywhere, whatever you do, whether, uh, wherever you work, the reality is that honestly for you and I as believers, that's not our occupation. Our occupation is simply living by faith. What does that look like? Well, the verse tells us, you see here that I skipped ahead accidentally. First, it means that we live every day and even face death being convinced of what we have in faith being convinced of what we have in faith, of what we have faith in, excuse me. I sure do love the word that the King James Bible uses here. He says that we are persuaded of them. That's a good word. We're persuaded of them. It's, we're persuaded of what? The object of our faith and the promises that go along with that faith, the, the promises we hold dear. That word persuaded, it means that it's a heavy um, sense of the word we are so persuaded so convinced that it induces lasting belief and confidence so there's a little bit more to it okay someone might say well you could persuade me you could maybe persuade me to eat something or to do something i might be persuaded you ever hear somebody say that that's not very powerful this is a a different powerful degree or depth of this word persuaded it is the idea that it produces i am so convinced that I hold a lasting belief and confidence. You're not going to do much to persuade me. Persuade me. Okay. For instance, I, as we were in South Africa there with Nathan, um, we got to go out outside the town of Cape Town. We traveled to. Forgive me, I forget the name of it. It's, um, I probably couldn't pronounce it anyway. Um, a town where Andrew Murray had one of his churches there, so that he was taking me there. And we actually got out of Cape Town, and there was a lot of farmland around. Okay, and as you can imagine, uh, making Brother Dell proud, Nathan made it a, a, a little challenge for us to count how many John Deere tractors we could count in, in South Africa. They have them, believe it or not. I think we actually, in our entire trip, we counted like seven John Deere tractors. It was amazing. Well, during it, just to be fun, I said, oh, look, there's a red one. Nathan's like, I don't see any tractor. I don't see nothing. Nope, I don't see nothing. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, well, why? Because that, I don't want to see it. I, 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 nope, you, you can't convince me that's a tractor, right? You can't convince me that's a tractor. That's kind of what's the idea here, right? It's, it's, you are so persuaded, okay? You're so persuaded there's only one tractor in the world, right? And it's a green and yellow you're so convinced, it's an intense, a lasting belief and confidence that what I know is what I know. That's the faith that's spoken of here. That's how these people can die in faith, not, not having received the promises, but seeing them afar off, they are persuaded. They are so convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm confident. So if I don't see it here right now, it's okay, it's coming. They are convinced 
they are persuaded. But that's not all. Look at the next term, okay? They are not only convinced, but they are committed. Secondly, it means that we live every day and even face death being committed to what we have faith in. Again, I love the the word our Bible uses here, embraced, embraced. The meaning is to greet. And you see in the parenthetical phrase there, it means to draw to oneself. Literally, it's the idea of embracing in a hug. Embracing in a hug. So this idea is I'm embracing it. It isn't just, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, okay, that's what I subscribe to. That's what I believe. It's not just saying that. It's literally embracing with a hug, okay? Do any of your parents have any of your kids that don't necessarily like hugs, especially when they're teenagers? I love giving some of my boys hugs when they don't like it. A couple older boys don't like hugs. I mean, I'll give them a bear hug, right? I'll embrace them and do the thing, and they're like, eh, okay. And uh, it's that idea, right? Kind of giving a hug, embracing, drawing them close to you so that, boy, everything, everybody knows this one's mine. Okay, um, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll pick on Carter. Carter's the one who just played. Carter's the one who doesn't like hugs. Okay, he's not a touchy-feely person. Okay, Coach Logan knows this, and part of a basketball assignment, he made him go home and give his parents hugs. That was great. <laughs> okay, and so make him get hugs. Right? Carter doesn't like hugs. Now, okay, if someone saw me hugging Carter, like say they didn't know me, they didn't know Carter, they probably say, "Oh, that's probably his son." Right? Okay, that's, that, there's some connection there because, boy, he's embracing him. He's drawing him nearer into him. What if, I, what if I went up to Colton Cooper and gave him a hug? Somebody's like, what in the world? What's going on there? You know, it's not, he's not his, right? He doesn't belong to him. Now, Colton Cooper probably wouldn't mind a hug from me. But anyway, he's not one of his, right? He's not, he's not drawn near. The idea, the picture here is this, to draw close to, listen, there's, there's, no, there's no mistaking that this is mine. That is the idea where it says, listen, they're persuaded and they've embraced it. There, there's no question that that belongs to him and he belongs to them. Okay? What does it mean? By faith. You have embraced the faith in Christ. You have embraced everything that God says in his word so clearly. And it's obvious you two belong together. You two are connected. You two belong together. It is clear and obvious to anyone and everyone. That's what this verse means. That's what the, the word means, embrace. You are persuaded. You are convinced. You are so committed that you've embraced. You've drawn it unto yourself. And nobody's going to think any different that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are somebody who has embraced faith in God. One of those things you treasure, you hold it dear that object of your faith and the promises that go with it. Thirdly, it also says this. It means that we live every day and even face death confessing what we have faith in and our status as strangers and pilgrims because of such faith. The verse says we are persuaded, embraced, and confessed. We have confessed what we have faith in. We have confessed our position, our status as strangers and pilgrims. Literally, we proclaim with our living and our words that we have faith in God and His promises. And because we have such a faith that we have embraced that they are mine, okay? We have no problem declaring that we are living like strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We'll let the world know. 
We have no qualms saying, listen, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, through my living and through my words. I don't mind telling you that I'm not going to embrace this world. I'm embracing the faith in God and all his word, all that it says. I'm embracing that. I find it interesting, as he, we've talked about Abraham and the other patriarchs, we see some illustrations where they said exactly that as they walked this sod, as they walked this earth. In Genesis chapter number 23, verse 4, Abraham says this to the sons of Heth, there in the land of Canaan, near what was known as Hebron, he says this, I am a stranger and a sojourner, a pilgrim with you. Abraham says, listen, I don't belong here. He tells him, I don't belong here. In fact, this is when he was asking for a place to, to bury Sarah. I don't belong here. I, I'm just a stranger. I, I'm just a sojourner. I love what Jacob did. He went down to Egypt, right? He went down to Egypt and, and joined Joseph and the whole family down there because of the famine and things. And he came near the end of his life and he was before Pharaoh. You remember what he said to Pharaoh? Here's what he said to Pharaoh in, in Genesis 47, 9. He says this, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. I'm a pilgrim. This, this, this life on earth, man, this isn't all it's about. This is not what I live for. I'm a, I'm a pilgrim. And Abraham says, I'm, I'm a stranger. See, the passage here is saying we readily identify that we are citizens of heaven. This world is not what we live for. It's not what we really belong. I'd like for you to let this truth sink in tonight. It's, it helps you and I to understand I'm here to live by faith. It's simply this fact. We are created in Christ Jesus for another place. When we are born again, we become disassociated from this place that we have found ourselves living in. We, we, we come to a new life, and that new life has a new citizenship. This new life now makes us a citizen of another place. This place is no longer my home. I, I don't feel at home here. I'm not a citizen here. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger. I don't belong here. I don't want to live here, Paul said. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain i don't live here anymore this isn't my home this is I'm, I'm just a pilgrim i'm just a stranger that's what the passage is look at verse 16 love this look at verse 16 it's exactly what he goes to but now they what's the next word desire there's a desire there's a there's a yearning a striving for a better country what better country is it that is unheavenly oh i like that you see, our desire rests in another place, and praise the Lord, we're told it's a better country, amen? It is heavenly. It's heavenly. We desire that. That's what he said. When you embrace, when you're persuaded, and you embrace, and you said, listen, I, I'm just a pilgrim and stranger in this place, boy, your desire grows for another place, a heavenly place, some place God is preparing for you and I. So we come to this conclusion of this point is simply this. Those that live by faith and are ready to die in faith have this daily occupation. This is the activity that we're engaged in. Every day I'm convinced of and I'm committed to and I'm confessing my status as a pilgrim and stranger of the faith we hold dear. That is my occupation here on earth as a believer. That is living by faith. So friend, we've seen each of it. Now let's look at verse 14. We've seen the offspring, we've seen the obstacle, we've seen the outlook, and now we've seen the occupation. Let's look at verse 14 quickly. Uh, we'll see the fifth point. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. 
Okay, it goes right along with the, the theme of what we're talking about. So number five, here's what we see. The outgrowth of faith is a declaration of a different direction. The outgrowth of faith is a declaration of a different direction. This occupation can't ha- help but have an outgrowth of people noticing that there's something different about people of faith, or so it should. They don't seek what the citizens of this earth seek, of this place. They don't live for what the residents of this place live for. We have different priorities. We have different desires, as that verse 16 just said. There's something different about the direction of our life. Of someone who lives by faith, there's a different purpose for that living. And what they do with their time to what they give it is different. We live in a a modern age where everybody wants to declare what they are. Amen? They want everybody in the world to know what they are. And that can be all kinds of different things where they embrace things that are not right, not, not holy, and so forth. But I just want you to know this is what I am. Can I just tell you right now, it's a good time and a good day for Christians to stand up and say, listen, this is what I am. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live by faith. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger in this place. And my friend, I just want to tell you, I'm going a completely different direction than this world's going. And that's a good thing to proclaim and declare to this world. They need to hear that you and I are going a different direction. And here it says what? I love the terminology. They declare how? Plainly. There's no confusion. It's clear. There's clarity to this. Well, is that person a Christian or not? I'm sick and tired of wondering about people, aren't you, sometimes? By how they live their life? Do you think God in heaven's getting a little sick and tired of people who claim to be a Christian but hardly live like one, of people who claim the name of Jesus Christ but barely put him first in life? Uh, Can I just tell you right now, God wants you and I to declare plainly if we're living by faith. And how you live and how you talk and what you do, you ought to declare plainly what? I have a different direction in life. Ever since we've been born again in Jesus Christ, we have a different place we belong to. And my friend, we have a different direction in life. And it ought to be clear. It ought to be stated and declared plainly by my living, by how I act, by how I talk. Everything ought to tell people I'm different. And so it begs the question of us today. By my living, am I declaring plainly that I have a different direction than those who are residents and citizens of this place, of earth? Does my faith have the outgrowth that this verse speaks of? Read it again, if you will. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek, that they pursue, that they are following after a country, a better country, a heavenly country, the verse 16 would describe. Make sure it's clear to others that you're going a different direction than most of the world today. Declare it loudly, declare it plainly, declare it clearly that you are going in a different direction. Now we come to a warning of the passage. Look at verse 15, if you will. Verse 15 has a little bit of warning. It says this, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to have returned. Uh-oh. It brings up something. In fact, this is what we'll call it. We call it the obstruction of faith. The obstruction of faith is the turning back precipitated by the looking back. The obstruction of faith is the turning back precipitated by the looking back. Can I just make this statement? If they, the Bible says that they had been mindful, that's a great statement. 
if their thoughts had been drawn toward, literally, if they had dwelled upon in their thinking of the country from which they had been called out from, if they still entertained affections, love for the country that they left, then it would in turn cause them to look back. If I asked you scripturally, who is somebody that looked back on a city when they shouldn't? We probably all mentioned Lot's wife, right? Yeah, we, hey, she looked back. She turned to a, a pillar uh, of Morton salt, amen? And uh, she turned to a pillar of salt. She looked back. She had affection. She looked, she looked back and something drew her back there. She was mindful of what she was leaving, what she thought she was losing. The Bible here says that they were mindful. They allowed their thoughts to dwell upon the country that they came out of, that I called them out of, if they then in turn caused them to look back. So what would that be? Well, for Abraham, it had to have been the Ur of Chaldees, right? We talked about how he was probably older when God came to him and called him out of that Ur of Chaldees. If the whole time he was wandering in the wilderness, if the whole time he was wandering through the land of Canaan, he kept thinking about, well, I had this back there. I enjoyed that back there. I don't have that here. I miss my friends. I miss my family. And boy, he started looking back. You know, the problem with looking back, right? What happens when you and I start to look back? The verse says it, right? It opens up the door to opportunity to turn back. When we look back, it opens up the opportunity to turn back. I like that. It says they might have had the opportunity. To what? To turn back. To have returned. So when you and I look back, it kind of opens the door to the opportunity to turn back. And when we say by looking back, we're talking about looking back with affection, right? He said that they'd be mindful. If, they, if they'd allow their heart to be drawn towards that and, and their affections brought towards that. See, for Abraham, it was the Ur of the Chaldees. Now, for you and I, it's a little different. You and I have been called out of the world we now live in, the world system and all its values and everything else. We've been called out of that now unfortunately you know it's like he called us out now he says what i want you to live in the midst i want you to be in the world but not of the world so now for you me it's a little different than than even abraham he completely left the year of the chaldees but here you and i we're stuck in the world that we're not supposed to have a love for we came out of it but now we're still in it but we're not supposed to be of it so you and i have to be on good guard don't we you and I have to make sure that we guard our hearts completely so that we, we don't start looking back at the world that's all around us and start allowing our affections to go back to this world. On some of us, it's harder than others. There's some here like me who, who you got saved at an early age. You didn't have much time to, to develop great affections for this world. You don't have many experiences that would draw you back. There's others of you here, let's be honest. You got saved later in life, and there's some affections. There's some things you partook of when you were in this world that the devil can use to draw you back. So you have to be on guard. You have to protect your mind, and you have to protect your heart. You have to guard it. Now, we're all under that. The, the world throws things at all of us, and, and whether we've experienced them or not, that can attract us. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes the pull can be a little greater when you've been there and you've experienced it. So the Bible challenges you not, because here's the problem. If we just spend some time looking back and we put our heart on these things and we allow our affections to be set on the world we're called on, at the very least, you know what we are? We're a double-minded man. And the Bible says, what's the outcome of a double-minded man? He is what? Unstable in all his ways. 
So the Bible gives you and I some encouragement, some challenges. He says, listen, don't let the obstruction of faith show up in your life by looking back at this world. Here's what we read in a couple of different places. Galatians 3.2, or excuse me, Colossians 3.2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. This world that you've been called out of, that you're in, but not of, don't set your affections on here. Don't allow your heart to be drawn into it and drawn away from it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says it well too. It says this, and they that are Christ, they have crucified the flesh. See, if we could talk to your old nature, your old nature says, listen, I, this is my home. I'm of this world. Your sin nature loves it in a sin world, Amen. Your old nature, your sin nature, this is their place. This is our old nature's place of residence. Our old nature loves it here. But you and I, we've been given, made partakers of a divine nature. Now you and I, we have a desire for somewhere else that isn't this sin-laden place. It has nothing to, we desire something greater and better. And so, my friend, you and I set our affections on things above. We don't want to open the door to the obstruction of faith by setting our affections on this earth, on the things we find in this earth. And so you know what it challenges us? I love this. Crucify it. Put it to death. Crucify the flesh in its affection for this world. Put it to death. Yeah, I think about it this way. Boy, you know, we may be in for a rude awakening this spring and summer with all the weeds and the bugs and everything else because the winter wasn't as bad as it could have been, right? It should have been. So reality is this. Can I tell you what's going to happen? We may have a lot of weeds. You who have gardens, you have a lot of weeds. What do you want to do with the weed? Do you want to just snip off the top of it? Let it live? No way. What do you want to do? Pull it out. Root it out. Kill it. Kill it. Can I just tell you right now, if you find in yourself some affections for this world, kill it. Kill it like a nasty weed. Put it to death. Crucify it. Because my friend, if you're endeavoring to live by faith, that will not help you. It will only be a hindrance to you. If you find in yourself something that loves this world, put it to death. I like this short poem that someone wrote many, many years ago. It simply says this. It's not for me to be seeking my bliss and building my hope in a region like this. I look for a city which hands have not piled. I pant for a country by sin undefiled. That's a great little poem, isn't it? Great little challenge. I hope it's your determination and mine. Real quick, verse 16, we'll see the last thing will be done. I know I've taken too long, but we'll just finish this up quickly. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. We read that and then here. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Number seven is simply this, the ownership, the ownership of those who live by faith and die in faith is claimed by God himself. It really is a remarkable statement, isn't it? God says, I'm glad to identify myself with people of faith. He claims them. That's what he says in the, in, in the, in the passage here. He is not ashamed to be called their God. He has no shame in saying that they belong to me. That's pretty remarkable. That the God of all creation, the God of heaven, would look down here and say, listen, so-and-so is walking by faith. They're living by faith. They're one of mine. I'm not ashamed for them to claim me and me to claim them. It's a powerful thought, yet it demands a sobering question to be answered this evening, and it's simply this. Okay, is God proud to be known as my God tonight? Hmm. It says that he is not ashamed. He is not ashamed to be called their God. Is God proud? proud to be known as my God tonight.
when I tell people I, uh, I know the God of heaven, I serve the God of heaven. Is he proud? He says he's not ashamed. Paul wrote an interesting verse in Romans chapter 2 and verse 24. He, he was talking of those who were living inconsistent lives when they claimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They claimed to follow God. And he wrote this. It's a convicting verse. He, he sent this. And, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. I'm quoting some Old Testament. I get it. But that's a sobering statement. That begs the question, is God proud to be my God tonight? It should be our goal to live lives so ordered and directed by faith that God is never ashamed to own us as His people. I want to live by faith in such a way, like these folks, like we've seen here, the occupation, everything. I want to live in such a way that God is never ashamed that I have claimed His name. And there's an icing on the cake. The ownership cake, as I put it here. What does he say? Well, he has prepared for us a city for us to dwell in with him. (laughs) Another promise, another great result or grand result, another future fulfillment that's awaiting when our faith shall be signed. He says, listen, they're mine, and I have something special in store for them. For those that live by faith. Every day. And, and they've taken to heart these seven things. And I would encourage you as you go throughout your week this week, would you think on these things? Would you think about the offspring of faith that ready to die in faith? Think about the, the obstacle to faith. And has your faith waned because some things haven't been fulfilled in your timing the way that you wanted? How about the outlook of faith? Are you hanging on to the far off? You're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm living by faith. I know you're going to fill it. I know you're going to take care of me. You're going to fulfill those promises. How about that occupation of faith where you are convinced, you're confident, you're committed, and you're confessing that, yes, I am a pilgrim and a stranger in this place. And how about that outgrowth of faith, that outgrowth, seeking that country, looking for that country, and you're declaring it, I'm going a different direction than everybody else. I don't mind you knowing I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then that obstruction, make sure you don't look back. Make sure we don't set our affections on things in this world that could derail us. And then finally, be thankful tonight. Boy, this is encouraging and this is an endearing truth. God says they are mine. You are mine. And I just tell you tonight, it's good to be God's. Amen? It's good to be His. Trust God will add the blessing to His Word. Quickly, Brother Clay, if you'll bring these prayer requests up to us. Our